I imagine in um, a room this size, so it's a good, good group of people here, um, there would be a good number of people who agree with me and the way that I feel when I say that work can be just kind of fun. Um, whether it's the way a certain sequence of sounds or the way it just rolls off the tongue, maybe some of the words are kind of trouble with sentimental value. Um, but if you're one of those people, you know what I mean. Um, there's certain words that you just kind of like. So for me, some of those words would um, be snorkel, um, <laughs> aluminum, skedaddle. My, this was maybe my favorite. Um, but, oh, pickle. Uh, I don't know. Let's go with that. Um, so those, I, have been, I have a lot of those words I just kind of like. He's got some coming, we'll talk about that later. Um, but there's, there's another word I like. Um, this one, you may feel like it's kind of an odd addition to the list. Um, and I'll explain it. But this, this other word I learned to, to really like, um, it's the word there for. Um, so specifically a few years ago, um, when I started learning to really pay attention to that word, there for. Um, and to, in my quiet time, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, to not kind of just skip over it as one of those words that does something rare, but that, you know doesn't have a concrete thing to grab onto. Um, but learning to, to look at that word and like that word and see how important it is. I remember when I was first really getting into their course um, in, in my Bible study, it was like, Kind of like being handed a pair of 3D glasses when you're in like a 3D movie, and putting them on is I could just see with a whole new level of clarity, um, a whole new just focusness, um, just a new a new light. I could see all of this and um, the, the themes of these, the Bible that I had been trying to look at and watch without these glasses. And without those glasses, it was kind of fuzzy flatness, but if everything was brought me clear, sharp um, perception when I started putting on those 3D therefore glasses. Um, so therefore, some synonyms it means for that reason, so then, as a consequence, <coughs> therefore connects a given fact or reason with a logical conclusion. Um, and it's just an important word. So when you read the Bible, um, and especially when you're reading these New Testament letters, <coughs> Um, there's a lot of therefores, and they're all so important. So when you are reading, you know, five times, look for those therefores and kind of think of them as uh, stop signs in, in, your, in your sentences. When you get there, stop for a moment, think about it, what's in there, um, and you may find that you also find a pair of 3D glasses. Um, so tonight we're continuing in Philippians. We're in chapter 2, um, and we're picking up in verse 12. So... And that, I don't, I don't look at every version of the Bible that needs to be in here, but mine starts with the therefore, and probably a lot of yours do too. Um, so I'll read verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, Paul says, therefore, um, and that means that something has gone on before, we talked about last week, um, that should give the Philippians who he's writing to a motive to do what he 
instructing these next verses we're looking at tonight. And we saw here in verse 12 that this first thing he tells them to do is to really obey as they've been obeying to work out their salvation. So this therefore, there's, that means there's a connection. There's a link somewhere. There's two parts that fit together with a logical um, connection there. And if we really want to understand how last week and this week fit together in Paul's writing, this letter he's writing to the Philippian church, um, and not just see them as two separate nice parts of the Bible that we can look at at different times, um, but to see how they fit together and see what how they really relate. Then we need to, to stop for a little bit and, and look back to last week and see how it connects with this week and where Paul wants to go. So if you were here last week, um, we looked at um, verses uh, I think it was 6 through 11, um, the section on Jesus and his example. Um, you may remember the last kind of big thought that that all ended on um, was in the last couple of verses, 9 through 11. Um, and we see there that the main point of those verses is that God highly exalted Jesus. Um, so looking there, it says God has exalted him above every, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, so that every tongue should confess that he is Lord. And so the idea is that Jesus is highly, highly exalted. But you may have noticed also that verses 9 through 11, that little chunk, it starts with a therefore also. Um, the first word in verse 9, therefore. So there's another part that we need to look back for a little bit further. Um, and to see what that idea is that leads us into the 9 through 11 of Jesus being exalted. So if we go back and look at that, we see um, first that in verses 3 through 5, Paul's telling the Philippians, um, he wants them to live humble, obedient lives. He wants them to have the same mind of Christ. And then in those following verses, he shows them the example of Christ and shows them um, really what that mind of Christ is. And we see that Jesus came and he humbled himself. Um, he, he came as an obedient, humble servant. He emptied himself, came, was obedient to the point of death. And then we get back to 9-11. Therefore, God highly exalted him. And this is 12. Therefore, you obey. You continue to obey as you have been doing. And if we think about that, Jesus came obedient and humble, therefore God exalted him. So then, therefore, you obey. Kind of seems like, you know, therefore, when coming for you offers reward, exalting. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But kind of trying to fit all those together. What are we supposed to see here? How do all these parts connect? So again, just to run through them. Paul says, have, be humble, obedient, have the mind of Christ. That, that mind of Christ is shown in his humble obedience, which was rewarded with high exaltation. So we get to tonight, and Paul tells the Philippians, so then you too, be humble, be obedient. And like I said, it seems like there should be another, another therefore, this reward, exaltation coming. And um, we don't see it right here in these verses, but it's in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's all one letter, as you know, and it's meant to be all read together and all 
goes together. So if you just flip the page, maybe maybe you don't even have to flip the page. Um, but in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we see some, some rewards, some things listed up here. Um, it says, talking about Jesus, our Savior, um, sorry, starting verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So citizens of heaven, and a Savior is going to come and take us who are his people, who are the citizens of heaven, to go and to, to live in his glorious kingdom. And not only that, but transform these lowly bodies we have now to be like his glorious bodies, be in that same image, glorious bodies in the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of that glorious kingdom. And that's some being lifted up. That's, being, that's some being exalted. And if that isn't even clear enough for you, you want something just super clear, um, you could flip over a few more pages to 1 Peter 5, 6. And 1 Peter, um, this verse says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. So, again, pulling all this in to show that, that God has a specific order for the lives of his people. And that order is modeled in the life of Christ who, who came, emptied himself, lived as a humble, obedient servant, and then was exalted up uh, at the right hand of God. Um, this order of the life of God's people is taught in scriptures. We just saw it in Peter. Um, and in this order, really, we just want to put it really simply. Humble, obedient, and then reward and exalted. So on, on the foundation of this thing, this order shown for us in the example of Christ and um, seeing how that this, this order that God has for his people, Paul continues uh, from where we were last week and into verse 12 and says, therefore, so then as a consequence, uh, on that foundation of seeing that order um, shown in the life of Christ, um, he's going to tell us uh, and encourage us to do three things. So the first of these three things we've seen uh, when we read in verse 12, just a couple minutes ago. Um, but to read verse 12 again, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, wonderful things, as you've always obeyed. We've been obedient to church. We've been doing what disciples of Christ ought to do. He says, as you've done that, continue. Continue to obey by working out your salvation. Work out salvation is really um, an expression of obedience. It means you're, you're doing those things. You're being obedient as people who follow Christ. So understanding this, this order of now living as humble, obedient servants, following the will of God, glorifying God in our lives, not, not seeking our, our glory now, seeking comfort, but being obedient to the will of God, um, and knowing that at the right time, God will exalt the humble. Um, this exhortation of, of Paul here, as you obey, continue to obey. Uh, it, it just flows naturally. It makes sense in, in light of understanding of that order that God has for his people. And it makes sense coming out of what we looked at last week, the great example of Christ, our 
our example and announcement is how he humbled himself. So he was the very son of God, emptied himself, came as a humble servant, died for us, and was exalted back to the right hand of God. And so we too continue in obedience, follow that example of Christ. Have the mind of Christ, as Paul tells us in the rest of that. And work out our salvation as we tell us here. Because we know, we know the source of that. We are to live humbly. And then at the right time, God will exalt us. So are you continuing in obedience if you if you think about your life now? Is that something that you're you're doing in your daily life? Something you think about maybe when, when you wake up in the morning, something that you're conscious of as you go throughout the day. Are you working out your salvation? Are you being obedient? This uh, this word work here, work out your salvation, it uh, implies some energy, some intentionality, and focus, purpose. Really, it, it requires effort to, to work something out. Work doesn't get done if you don't do it. Probably everyone here, you know, students, we, we know that. We've experienced maybe um, you didn't do an assignment, didn't get done. And there's consequences for that. But it's the same way. If we don't do things to help us live in lives of obedience, it's really not going to get done. If you're going to grow in your life with Jesus, you have to put in work and effort. And the thing is, nobody else can do it for you. Um, we only are, we're the only ones who can be obedient in our lives. And we have this responsibility to be obedient, to do the things that God calls us to do. And we can't push that responsibility onto anyone else. Not a pastor, not our parents, not mentor, friends. Um, there's a, a level of responsibility in our own spiritual life that only we, we can take on. Now, we need people to help us, encourage us, pray for us, disciple us. But we can't put all the responsibility on them to make us strong disciples of Christ. There comes a point when we have to um, put in the effort to grow, to be obedient, to follow Jesus as as his disciples, and to say that, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to work out my salvation. Now, we, um, we who are Christians have to put in effort, but don't, don't get overwhelmed, because we're not alone in it. Look at, at verse 13. Um, he's continuing his thought here. Um, he said, just right back in verse 12, work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. And then this is important. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in you. So this task of living as an obedient, humble follower of Christ is not impossible. Because we do we have the power we need to actually do it. So yes, we do have to work it out. We have to do it. And keep in mind, I'm not saying at all work for salvation. We are saved through faith, but we are saved for good works. We're saved to work out um, our faith and obedience. Um, so if we are to do it, God is doing it in us. Maybe this illustration will help to just kind of see how maybe those things fit together. So say you're in the Alps somewhere, and uh, there's this big, jagged, rocky, snowy mountain, and you have to get to the top. And it's just this incredibly large jagged mountain. But you're given help. Um, you're given skis with motors on it. 
you're a citizen of heaven heading to your home in the glorious kingdom of heaven. So if we experience the inconvenience of a broken carriage here today or tomorrow, um, really what's the point of complaining when, when we know what's waiting ahead of us? When we know what Christ has done so that we can have that waiting ahead of us? So no matter the sacrifices we have to make, um, the hardships in life that, that we face, um, big things, small things, and sometimes those small things are the things that just drift us the most and are the hardest to have a good attitude about. Um, but, but we know that these things can't compare to the glory that's coming, the glory that, that God's prepared for those who know and love and obey Him. And meditating on that should really just squelch out all complaining and grumbling in our mouths and in our hearts. But the key is that we do have to remember, we have to um, make the decision to, to look ahead down the road to that estate, that great New York estate, um, so that we don't whimper and sob over our broken carriage here on the little road. But again, right, that's, that's the difficult part. So often we look at our broken carriage and we forget the whole world around us. And that's when we complain. So how can we do a better job of keeping the right perspective? Not getting locked on to a broken carriage. It comes in verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. That in the day of Christ I may be proud I did not learn in vain, but labor in vain. So how do we do all things without grumbling or questioning? It's by holding fast to the word of life. By soaking in all that you can from God's word. Reading it daily, meditating on it, studying it with others, listening to sermons, just getting it inside of you, adding fast to the Word of Life. And when you're reading the Bible and reminding yourself all the truth in it, you see um, what Christ has done for you, you see who He has made you to be, you see where you're heading, and that keeps you focused, that keeps you in the proper perspective. So remind yourself that you know, whatever whatever uh, broken carriage you have in, in your life right now, remind yourself that it's a short while of hardship now, um, but an eternity of joy and glory with Christ to come. And when your mind's full of that truth, um, you're going to be so full of joy, hope, thankfulness, thanksgiving to God that you won't be complaining and grumbling. And all of a sudden, you're going to live in a way that is just such stark contrast to the world around us. Um, you will live like a blameless, pure child of God, shining like a light in a dark world that needs to see. So next time you're tempted to complain, um, remember the state, not the carriage, um, and, and allow yourself by the help of the Spirit to be a light in a dark, dark world. And then the, finally, the third thing we see that Paul um, tells the Philippians to do is to rejoice. In verses 17 and 18, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. <laughs> so the image Paul gives here um, really implies the giving of his life. Um, just as wine was poured out in ancient sacrificial ceremonies, Paul here says, He's happy to pour out his blood, pour out his life, really, for the advancement of the gospel. Um, 
And really, we can remember that just as Jesus emptied himself, we saw last week, Paul is the flag to pour himself out also for the glory of God. And know that he's not a complaining sacrifice. Really, he's the complete opposite. He's a rejoicing sacrifice. Rejoicing not, not over just someone taking the last piece of pie, but rejoicing even when he could be facing death. And his, his life could be completely poured out. But he's rejoicing in that. Because when you know that the Son of God emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, <coughs> not for any wrong that, that he had done, but for the wrong that you and I have done. And when you know that he rose from the dead and defeated sin and death um, and offers us life, when you know that he's ruling and reigning today, um, now and, and forevermore at the right hand of God, and when you know that he is with us as we follow him, trying to follow his example of humble obedience, not seeking our own glory, but walking with him even through hardships and trials of life. And he's one day coming back for us to take us to be with him in a place um, far greater than the New York State, where there's no more mourning, crying, pain, sadness, tears, death, and where we're going to be in everlasting fellowship with him forever. And basking his love and his glory for all of eternity, then, when you know all of that, suffering loses its power. And more than just manage to get through suffering, you can rejoice in suffering when you know that, when you have that foundation. Because Jesus has come to redeem us. He is Lord over all. And he is coming again. If you don't know Jesus, tonight will be the perfect time to, to know. And we're going to go into a time of prayer. We're going to see these people up here um, to talk with you about that, to talk with you uh, about how you can know that hope and how you can um, have a Savior who has come and emptied himself and died for you and that you can have a new life with him. If you, if you know Jesus, but you want to
pray that that would be the foundation that we live on each day. I pray that that would spur us on to work out our salvation, to follow Christ's example, not seeking our glory, not seeking our comfort, no. but seeking to be humble and obedient to whatever he asks us to do. I pray that we would be people who do all things without complaining or arguing, that we would be people who every day on this campus, wherever we go, that we would be blameless and pure, children of God, shining as lights in a very, very dark world. God, I pray that you would use us, not for our glory, but for yours, God, and that more, more people would be drawn to you through the way that we follow you, God, in humble obedience every day. Lord, you are a great, great God. I thank you for your mercy to us, for calling us to be your children, citizens of heaven. I thank you that one day we will be with you again.